Hello and welcome to another edition of Atlas Information Live. We are very happy to have you here with us today. And if this is your first time visiting us, then welcome, very special welcome. Uh, it's always good to have new visitors and new viewers on our program. And today is actually a rather special occasion in a manner of speaking. We, especially given the topic that we broached last week, that of uh, false gurus and dangerous teachings, it was brought to our attention that we should try to bring into balance, especially for those who are here for a very special purpose, for a very special reason, and they know it deep down in their heart. You may be one of those individuals, an individual who, for as long as you can remember in this lifetime, you felt as though you had twofold. You had a purpose for being here, and yet it was almost as if you didn't truly belong here. You have this strange feeling like you're not like everybody else. And yet you know you're here for a reason. This phenomenon is experienced by countless individuals. And they go by many names. They're called light workers. They're called indigo children or earth angels or star seeds. They have many names. They go by many names. And this is a phenomenon which is well known. And one of the cornerstones or backbones of the so-called New Age movement. Uh, for many, the entire movement itself is all about the so-called light workers and star seeds and indigos. And Many who feel deep down in their heart of hearts, in their being of beings, that they <clears throat> fall into that category of a soul who has come here for a reason, but has always felt a little bit uneasy about being here, about we don't quite fit in, we don't quite belong. So we often behave as a bit of outcasts or loners. We prefer solitude over noisy crowds and, you know, just, we generally speaking, don't like acquaintances and we don't like small talk and we don't, we don't really participate 
in the same way, in, in the sort of mundane activities and entertainments and pastimes and dramas and socializing and all the other sort of, quote, normal mundane activities that the vast majority of people on this planet uh, par participate in. We generally speaking find all of that a little a little odd not for us it's not it's not really our thing and yet some of us can go for a very long time in our life not knowing precisely why we are here we may know that we're here for something but what that is can be very unclear to us. And that is quite normal, actually. It's a quite normal experience for these so-called light workers or indigo children. Now, there has been countless articles, blogs, books, seminars, workshops, uh, retreats written about the uh, lightworker phenomenon. And It is we want to be able to synthesize in a simple way without getting into too many of the details that others have written and others have said. At the same time, we may need to go over some of that material and put it into the context that we are discussing here today. In general, the single unifying nexus that unites all those who either describe themselves as or, or identify with the description of the unifying nexus behind all these souls is that we have a deep 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 longing and pull to help others others There are, of course, many facets or faculties that go along with this. For example, many light workers are empaths. We feel other people's pain as though it was our own. Some are what you may call more charismatic empaths, 
where they're just able to read people emotionally for good or for ill. But it's more of a, it's a, a more of a, a mental emotional side of things. Some empaths like our, like ourselves, we feel people's physical pain as though it was our own. So on the spectrum of empathy, like all clairvoyance, empathy can range through a whole spectrum of frequencies related to which bodies or which dimensions we are sensitive to with our empathy. It's in much the same way that all clairvoyance works this way, where just because someone is clairvoyant doesn't mean that they see the full spectrum of energy. They may see a narrow band of energy, which of course is beyond the energy which constitutes the five senses in three dimensions. But some people are empathetic towards electricity, for example, and some people are sensitive toward electricity and magnetism. Some people are, are clairvoyant towards emotion, so they have emotional empathy. Others are clairvoyant for the mental plane, so they have empathy on the mental level. This means that they can practically read other people's minds, perhaps not with pinpoint precision, but they generally, they have this intuitive clairvoyance related to what other people are thinking, not just feeling. And then of course, there is, there are empaths who can feel other people's pain and other people's joy. That empathy, that sensitivity to others often extends to the animal kingdom. So what you will find is uh, many so-called light workers have a profound affinity for animals. We love animals. We love being around animals. We, we, we have an absolute need for nature in all its forms. And the ability to commune with a being that is innocent and animals are innocent. Many of us will prefer the company of animals over other people because of the fact that animals are innocent. Yes, they have ego, but their egos are in check. Their egos are in line with their nature as, as, uh, as part of mechanical nature still. And so generally speaking, again, generally speaking, animals don't misbehave in the same way that humans do. And animals don't betray in the same way that humans do. And it is the innocence that animals have that radiates from their monad, from their elemental. And we, we have a profound affinity to that.
another aspect that often unites or connects those who are here to work on behalf of humanity for the sake of others and for helping others is that many of us have gone through various kinds of childhood trauma or very difficult lives. We've, we've suffered a lot, generally speaking. Not always, not everyone, but most of us. Most of us have been through a lot. And in that going through a lot, we have learned much about ourselves, about others, about the nature of the world, but also, by and large, the lightworker phenomenon leans toward or tends toward a state of overt positivity, even in the face of so-called negative events and negative memories. Lightworkers are, at the bare minimum, the glass is half full beings. And recalling our, you know, my own life, I can remember uh, having arguments and disagreements with family members because I grew up in a glasses half empty household. And of course, in my younger foolish days, it really irked me. It got on my nerves that I was surrounded by people who were always looking at the negative side. When I was saying, why do you have to be so negative all the time? The tendency and the longing for a positive outlook and a positive outcome and a positive way of seeing the world, even in its present state or in whatever state it is at the, at the moment, or our lives or our loved ones or our family members or our relationships or anything. And that positivity and that belief that in positive outcomes, that longing for positive outcomes, tends to shift us into a mode of being what you might call a fixer or a fixer upper. It's like wherever we are, regardless of the circumstances, whatever we face, that positive outlook has us see beyond whatever limitations there are or whatever is holding back the potential of a given outcome. And we set ourselves to task to fix the situation, sometimes to fix 
the person. If we we meet someone or we have a relationship with someone and we see their suffering and we see them on the downward spiral, we intuitively will often feel the pull or the push, the call, the impulse from our being to take action, to help that individual and to, to, to fix them, to heal them. Of course, there are other uh, uh, indications. So, for example, most of us have a strong spiritual inclination, but have a uh, innate distrust or suspicion of religion. We have an, an intuitive knowing that the so-called great world religions are not what they should be, not what they could be, not what they once were when they were founded by their avatar. So for example, Christianity, which was essentially founded by Jesus and his apostles. Well, what, what Christianity is today is a pale shadow to what true Christianity is. And light workers, or we're going to use that word, or star seeds, again, they go by many names, right? One of the reasons why you're here listening to this is because you know that you're not, you're not going to receive any sort of religious dogma. You don't have to join anything. You don't have to uh, contribute any money. You don't, you certainly don't have to worship anyone here or believe anything. In fact, you're here because precisely because we encourage you not to believe anything because we speak out against all belief. You are here because intuitively you know that belief is hypnosis and ignorance and that knowing is gnosis self-evident experiential knowledge that is what we seek as so-called light workers we came here for a reason and we came here to this planet at this time precisely because of the experiences that we can have here now that we cannot have anywhere else and precisely because of the experience that this humanity is going through here and now that it is so much in need of course there are other names that people go by uh, or they like to you know we hear said a lot like old soul and many of us may have had that experience as children where maybe we skipped a grade in school or skipped a couple grades in school 
or all of our friends were two or three years older than us. Or perhaps when we were very young, we were trucked out in front of the adults and we were essentially performing for them because all the adults were saying, my God, they're so, he's so smart or she's so smart or she's so mature. Or, oh my God, she's way ahead of her, you know, in years. So this is where that expression of old soul comes into play. And a lot of us had that experience growing up as a child is that we felt like, and especially around adults who were hypocritical. We have a nose for hypocrisy. We have a nose for people who don't walk their talk. That's one of the reasons why we are so suspicious of religion. These religions that expound one thing on Saturday or Sunday, and then the rest of the week they seemingly do 180 degrees the opposite. How they've been politicized and how they've been used and so on and so forth. Well, there is so much hypocrisy in the world, and we we can just, we just know it. We just, we have a nose for that. This all of these characteristics, well, let's keep going. Many of us uh, may find ourselves being pulled to the healing arts. And perhaps in our younger years, we, we even uh, approached, um, you know, physical uh, to be uh, allopathic healthcare or, you know, medicine or other perhaps psychiatry or psychology. And as we approached the physical materialist scientific reductionist viewpoint of physical and mental health, of wellness, we, we probably felt an, a, a, some kind of intuitive, no, intuitive understanding or an intuitive pull that that this isn't enough, that I'm here to be a healer, but I'm not here to prescribe medications to people who are suffering. That's not being a healer. That's managing symptoms. And so we find ourselves, again, looking to alternatives alternative medicine, alternative psychology, esoteric psychology. So it goes without saying that we are very intuitive and that we are empathetic and we have also a lot of energy. We can be very intense at times, and we feel that intense energy emanating and radiating from inside of us. And this can be a blessing and a curse, because when it's a blessing, then obviously 
that energy is flowing through us in an upright and positive way. And if it is received as a blessing, if it is received with open arms with and wholeheartedly welcomed by those whom we are serving through that energy or with that energy, those who are on the receiving end of that energy, then a powerful connection can be made and we have the most incredible feeling of fulfillment. But that energy can be a curse when it is channeled in the wrong way through one of our many egos. Fear, anger, frustration, laziness, loneliness, gluttony, the list is long. Because as intense as we can be in a positive way, the energy, the fire is the same fire that fuels, that can fuel our negativity. And even though generally we are positive all the time and generally we try to be upright and, and forthright, There are times, of course, because we're only human and we're not perfect and we're not free of ego, whatever you may believe about being a light worker, we are not free of ego. Not by any stretch of the imagination. And so that intensity, when it gets captured by the ego, it, uh, well, you all have experienced that in one form or another. And as Ingrid Anderson says here, uh, she said, hello earlier. Hello, Ingrid. Uh, glad to have you with us. She rightly points out here that that intensity, that energy is often too much for most people. So many of us experience this, where we might call them the normies, the muggles, and we use those these words not in a derogatory way, but in a descriptive way. Those individuals who look at us like we're aliens, like we don't belong, like we are strange, like there's something off about us. Just they, they see us as being different and being not quite able to fit in as much as we feel ourselves being different and not quite able to fit in. So, but we know who the normies are, the muggles, those who would never identify as a light worker, who don't have these experiences, who can't relate to all of the different things that we are talking about here. They're the ones who fit in like hand in glove in the normal way of doing things and the average way of doing things. And they're quite happy living a life of materialist comfort and security, looking after themselves and their family and hanging out with their friends and their acquaintances and so on and so forth. And, you know, procreating, raising a family, making sure their kids get a good head start, and then, <clears throat> you know, saving up a good retirement, retiring at 65 and then going and traveling the world or, you know, gardening in their backyard or doing whatever it is that they do 
for the rest of their life before they die. <clears throat> what we just described there, right? For us, for a light worker, for a star seed, what we just laid out there and described it to us <clears throat> sounds and feels like some kind of a prison sentence. And the fire that burns inside of us burns those people. The intensity blinds them and it, and it burns them. It, it, it frustrates them. It irritates them. Why? Because <clears throat> if their life sounds to us like a prison sentence, we're like, <clears throat> we're like Andy Dufresne in the Shawshank Redemption. Because all we feel is hope. And all we know inside us is that we don't belong in that prison. And we will suffer in that prison as long as we have to, but, but we know that we're getting out. Sooner or later, we are going to be free of that prison. And while we are inside, we are going to radiate as much light and as much hope as we can to everyone around us. And, you know, and perhaps even help one or more of them liberate themselves like Red, when he finally gets out on parole. It's only because of Andy Dufresne's hope that Red seeks out the big tree and the, the volcanic glass rock buried beneath it. But yes, that intensity is too much for most people. For most of the other inmates at Shawshank, Andy Dufresne is just crazy. And Andy Dufresne suffers a lot. You see, his innocence, his beauty, his kindness, his gentleness makes him a target. And it makes him a target for the sodomites. makes them a target for those who want a piece of that energy, but they want to take it by force. They want to take it on their own terms. And many of us have felt ourselves on the end of, or in the company of what we call energy vampires. Many of us have experienced ourselves being exploited in some way, shape, or form. People taking us for granted, people taking advantage of us. Because of course, in our relative innocence and in our in naivete, especially in our younger years, we were way too trusting and way too giving and way too uh, forgiving, way too quick 
to give people the benefit of the doubt. Because we go through life from a standpoint <clears throat> all we know is how we see the world. Many of us, we can't begin to fathom how uh, greedy and needy and egotistical and narcissistic, sociopathic, psychopathic individuals we it's very 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 difficult for us to put ourselves in their shoes because we just can't see the world that way and that unfortunately led many of us to many into many situations and many circumstances where we did suffer a lot at the hands of such individuals and we learned the hard way by being on the receiving end and it is safe to say that very, very, very few of us, we may have for a time become cynical. For a time, we may have fallen into, you know, a real dark place and become cynical and become untrusting and so on. But, but that, we never stayed too long in that place because our inner light and our, our love and our capacity for forgiveness and the capacity to forgive ourselves. And that pull of our being to get on with our work and get on with our mission and say, okay, so we just, we know, we've learned better now not to cast pearls before swine. Don't cast your pearls before swine. We've all learned that the hard way, one way or another. Where sharing our love and light is all well and good. But if we share that with people who are just going to siphon it off like parasites, like vampires, and, and completely abuse us and, and in the process, we we realize it's a complete waste of our energy. It's a complete waste of our time. Casting pearls before swine is stupid. We were, we were wrong to do that. We were wrong to be so trusting. We were wrong to, to try to, quote, save everyone. We've shared this many, many times. And we say it again only because we know we have new people here tonight. When we were taken before the council of the Great White Brotherhood, the Great White Lodge, the Ascended Masters, in other words, and all of them held council. And there we were, and we describe the feeling of it. We felt like little six-year-old Anakin Skywalker in front of the Jedi Council. But you want to talk about intensity. The whole council, all 12 of the Ascended Masters, all simultaneously, not just telepathically, but consciously, impressed upon us 
this simple phrase. Now listen very carefully. You do not have to save everyone. We were that naive and we're getting ourselves into that much trouble because our rational, limited, subjective monkey mind was taking hold of our intuitive knowing about who we were and why we were here and weaving this elaborate narrative and this huge burden on our shoulders, this atlas complex, literally, that was weighing us down because we're like, how can we... There's so many people that it's like they don't want to be saved. They don't want to be helped. And they react terribly, horribly. They lash out with anger and violence and 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 hatred. Their reaction to love and light and and is 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 the antithesis of that. It's they just they just throw back darkness. And in our naivete. You know, we were we were young and we were foolish. And we were letting the fact that we were casting pearls before swine and the swine were responding as swine do. And we were letting that so burden us. It was so get to us. One of the things, and we don't want to point, we're not going to um, name anyone in particular today because there have been many, many, many voices expressing certain fallacies about what it means to be a light worker and what our work is. And one of those fallacies is the idea that light workers are, are here to simply vibrate at a higher frequency. And that somehow magically, just by being, their radiance, their they're living their, their positive life and their positive vibrations, just magically, their higher vibrations will raise the vibrations of everybody around them. And that, and that if we have millions of light workers all over the world, all raising their vibrations and all vibrating at this higher frequency, that somehow through the power of entrainment, all of humanity is going to be engulfed in that vibration. And then we are going to raise this whole humanity up from the darkness that's it, that it's in and from the, from the hypnosis that it's in. And that all of humanity is going to awaken. We're on the verge of this mass global awakening. And that there's a whole contingency of light workers out there that just have to be the light and the love. 
If only it were that simple, and if only it were that easy. But it's not. Now, does that mean that you can't influence people with your positive vibes, with your positive frequency, with your positive energy? Of course you can. Those people who are receptive to that, those people who are open to that, those people who are perhaps already not on precisely on the same wavelength, but already heading in that direction, and they they sense that affinity, and they they're drawn to us because of our energy, because of our intensity, because of the resplendence that we put into the work that we do, the words that we that we speak, the music that we play, the art that we create, the truth that we speak, the the kindness that we show, or the severity that we show, the courage that we show to correct people in times that, that they need correcting. And then those people are receptive to that saying, who say, wow, you know, I'm so grateful nobody has ever taken the time or made the effort to put me in my place. And I so needed to be put in my place. Thank you for that. Well, you know as well as I do that that's a rarity. It's, it's a rare thing to run into people who are receptive and thankful. Especially among the normies, among the muggles. People who are receptive and thankful to our energy, our intensity, and specifically our knowledge and our direction, our encouragement, or our pointing them in this direction or that direction, our suggestions, our help, our service to them. No, it's not a it's not a member it's not a question of of just beaming with light and love and truth and the whole world will get caught up in it and rise up. No. No, it's not like that at all actually. Not in the grand scheme of things. Not when we look at the majority of people on this planet. Benjamin says all of this sounds a lot like him. And Jennifer says Crazy the timing of this topic. I just had a run-in with my sister and shared way too much of my light with her, thinking I could trust her. She ended up turning on me and attacked me. Hopefully, I finally learned my lesson this time to not be so trusting. Jennifer, we have had the we had the same run-in not only with our with my brother but my brother's sister-in-law, and basically my entire family. It took my dearly departed mother lying on her deathbed, crying out in anguish because she was so afraid, she was so terrified of dying. 
it took us praying with her and where she was as, actually asking, begging for an answer, begging for a solution, begging to be freed from that fear. And our prayer, our words of comfort, we spoke absolute words of truth to her in her moment of need. And it was only in that moment when the fear vanished from her eyes and her brow and her face relaxed. And, and she, she looked back at it and she said, son, I'm not afraid anymore. It was only in that moment, just a few days before her death, that she realized who we really were. It was only then that she comprehended what we were born to do, why we are here. And to this day, no one else in our family recognizes it or sees it. They've just resigned to know that we are not going to take their so-called good advice that they believe that they know what's, quote, best for us. They know that they, it's wasted breath on us trying to get us to not do what we came here to do. And what did we come here to do? What did all of us come here to do? What is this phenomenon that unites us, that draws us together, and that has created this whole New Age movement of hundreds of thousands of millions of people who feel this way all over the world? The answer to that is multifaceted, of course, but we can sum it up in the expression warriors of light or spiritual warriors. And perhaps it is even better expressed in the phrase, the army of world salvation. Not the Salvation Army. <laughs> We're not here to collect old clothing and used clothing and used household items to sale, to, for sale in thrift shops for, for underprivileged families and people who can't afford new stuff. Uh, no, no, no. We're, we're, that's, that's, we're talking about the army of world salvation. An army of spiritual warriors. And many light workers embrace that term. They feel it. They intuitively say, they, they'll nod and say, yeah, that's right. I am a spiritual warrior. I am a warrior of light. Yeah. And then they'll read Paulo uh, Coelho's book on the, uh, called Warrior of Light, or you know, they'll read any number of books or articles, just like they have about light workers. And they'll get us whole, this whole plethora of information that describes them, that, that, I, that they can identify with, and that they really feel, yeah, yeah, okay, right. But again, <clears throat> recalling last week's lecture, 
on the most dangerous teachings, most of what we find out there written about light workers and spiritual warriors, warriors of light, even if it's 90% true, even if it's 90% true, if you really go and meditate on what you read, you will discover a profound and and eye-opening reality that's somewhere hidden in that last 10%, in that last sliver that remained on the cutting room floor is the real answer. And that 90% that's resonating with you, yeah, that may be all good. Like everything that we've said to you up until now. We've been, we've been speaking for 50 minutes almost. Talking about light workers and, and, and our experiences and, and, and what, what it's like and <clears throat> why we are here. And we all feel like we want to help people. And we choose this career, or that career, or this thing and that thing or art and blah, 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 and blah, blah, blah. And all of you who are still on this call, who are resonating with that. And yet we still haven't gotten to the answer why you're here. What is this warrior of light? What is this army of world salvation? Why would you need to be a warrior? Why would you need to have an army if the world is on a brink of some grand mass global awakening? Why would you need an army? Why are we talking about world salvation? I mean, the, the, the great mass global awakening is just around the corner, right? And that we're and all of all we need to do is be, right? Like we're light workers. All we need to do is be in our radiance, our energy is gonna raise everybody up, right? Because that's what all the literature says. That's what all the literature says. We're going to read the following quote. Our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful, is that we are powerful beyond measure. Boy, this is, it would be wonderful if uh, websites just left you alone and let you do what you needed to do instead of just constantly popping up. Okay, so this is a quote from Marion Williamson. So let's start from the beginning again. Our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. It is our light, not our darkness, that most frightens us. We ask ourselves, who am I to be brilliant, gorgeous, talented, fabulous, Actually, who are you not to be? You are a child of God. Your playing small does not serve the world. There is nothing enlightened about shrinking so that other people won't feel insecure around you. We are all meant to shine as children do. We were born to make manifest the glory of God that is within us. It's not just in some of us. It's in everyone. 
And as we let out our and as we let our own light shine, we unconsciously give other people permission to do the same. As we are liberated from our own fear, our presence automatically liberates others. That's, that's from Marion Williamson's book called uh, A Return to Love. Reflections on the Principles of A Course in Miracles. Because you know Marion Williamson co-authored The Course in Miracles. Now all of that, surely, all of that resonates with us on some level or another. Why should we accept uh, a mundane existence? Why should we shirk or, or shy away from our power, that force, that fire deep inside our heart? Here, Ingrid um, chimes in and says, it's a great quote. I got fed up shrinking my light so others felt more comfortable. I just let my wings out now. And that's good because that's you have you've overcome your fear of being judged. You've overcome your fear of how others are going to think about you. But it's the last line that we want to draw to your attention. As we are liberated from our own fear, our presence automatically liberates others. You see, here's what we mean by the 90% true. And then hidden in the 10% is the key. It's the crux. It's the, it's the, it's the last word in the paragraph, the last phrase, the meaning, the point. And it is 100% incorrect. 100% incorrect. It is wrong. It is not even remotely correct. How many of us chose to get the jab. Now, how many of us revealed to friends and family that we weren't getting the jab and why we weren't getting the jab? And how many of our friends and family or strangers on Facebook automatically were liberated by their fear because we didn't get the jab and we stood up proudly and said, I'm not getting this thing. I'm not putting that crap in my arm. And here's why I'm not putting that garbage in my arm, that poison. How many, how many of us attempting to do that in private with our close friends and family or in public? How many of us automatically liberated others from their fear and instantly and magically transform them into people who <gasps> awoke and went, yeah, I, I shouldn't get it either.
You don't have to listen to me. You don't have to take my word for it. Just look at, look at the world. Look around you. Look at your own experience. What Jennifer Alfred just, Alred just shared just a few moments ago with her own sister. Or what Ingrid said a little while back. Our intensity, the intensity of truth and light is just too much for people. And the intensity of courage and the courage of conviction, integrity, to be true to one's higher self, to be true to one's true self, integrity, to be integral. This quote, my man, and let's face it, Marion Williamson, we don't mean to single her out. Okay, we're not sharing this, uh, you know, to to say that the Course in Miracles is garbage and that everything that she's ever wrote is is nonsense. No, 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 no. It's ninety, and in in the case of this paragraph, it's closer to ninety nine percent true. But you can see now, if you look, go and do your research on lightworkers, on star seeds, and what, and what is written about us, why we are here, and what we're supposed to be doing. This quote, this single paragraph, embodies the universal truth about the misunderstanding and the misinformation and disinformation that is out there about lightworkers and star seeds and spiritual warriors. Spiritual warriors have to fight. A warrior must engage. A warrior must fight. A warrior must struggle. And a warrior must sacrifice. That is what a hero does. And fight what? And fight against what? And struggle against what? The adversary, the forces that are stacked against us and stacked against this humanity during this time. We are all here now on this planet because of the time that this planet is in, the process, the place that it is in. That time, that era, that moment has many names. But the one that we perhaps can identify with most or recognize easiest is the Kali Yuga. The end of times, the apocalypse. A transitional period. When we witness the destruction and death of one humanity and the birth of the next humanity. And in between those two stages, there is a transfer of the best seeds with which the new humanity will be planted and which will sprout and grow the, the next humanity on this planet. The next humanity on this planet 
is the one who is going to have a golden age. Not this humanity. This humanity is experiencing all that it's experiencing, the degeneration, the suffering, the degradation, the crumbling, the collapse of every aspect because it is, it is dying. We are witnessing the fall of a global humanity. Empires rise and empires fall. We know this to be true. There's no point in avoiding that fact. And humanities rise and humanities fall. There's no point in trying to avoid it. And in the Iron Age of a humanity, in its Kali Yuga, the Black Lodge rules. Ego rules. Which is why so many of the normies react so terribly to our light. Because to the Black Lodge, the light is like poison. Light and love and truth. Is an anathema to them. It's an affront. It's an assault on them. So what Marianne Williamson is saying here, we've all experienced that in some point. She says, there's nothing enlightened about shrinking so other people won't feel insecure around you. We've all felt people being insecure around us. Being, people feeling threatened by what we know, by how we are, by by just the way just the way we carry ourselves and people feel threatened by that we've all experienced that in some form or another in some way maybe at work at school in our family online it, it doesn't matter but the reason that is is because those people are dominated by their egos What are egos? Egos are energy vampires. They're parasites that are clinging to those souls, siphoning the, the, the creative energy, the vital energy, the sexual force, and subjecting the consciousness to illusion and delusion and lies and opinion and my truth instead of allowing the consciousness to be free and embrace the truth, the universal truth, what is true for all of us, regardless of race, sex, creed, color, and on and on and on it goes. All that identity politics crap, 
which is now being shoved down everybody's throat because critical race theory and identity politics is what? Tribalism. It is separation being cranked up to 11. And lightworkers of all people know that suffering is partly caused by duality and the false belief in separation and the belief that you and I are separate and that that and that we and nature and are separate when we know as as light workers deep down in our hearts we know that we're all one we're all connected and that's why to us when we hear that Jesus speak the golden rule we feel that in our bones saying yeah because because that which I do to the least of my brothers, I do unto God. And so how should I behave with my brothers and sisters or, my, or animals or nature? I should do unto them that which I would have done unto myself. Because I am doing unto myself when I do unto them. Look at the tribalism in politics. Look at the critical race theory. Look at the the wokeism, the social justice warrior garbage. It's all, it's all, everybody's digging in their heels and everybody's marking their territory like, like, uh, like animals having a pissing contest. Literally, literally, we are looking at a humanity becoming more and more tribal, primal, primitive, animal. Because egos work for mechanical nature. And mechanical nature is responsible for destroying a humanity in the same way that you do not have to consciously grow old. You don't have to grow old. Your body does that for you. Your body takes care of that. You don't have to sit there planning out, okay, now, all right, I'm going to wait until I'm 55, and then, okay, I think I'll have early onset Alzheimer's begin when I'm 55, and then every day I'm going to be doing something to make sure that the early, uh, the, the early stage dementia starts popping in. That's ridiculous. Right? We... That's mechanical nature takes care of old age and death, natural death, the decline. And mechanical nature, egos, are doing that right here and right now for this humanity. Mugaboo 22 says, for something new to be born, the old must die. It has always been this way. And as Azil says, I have a friend who said to me, you call your life hell? No, do not fool yourself, for you must have been, explore, you must have been explored it further. Now tell me, what is it like? Is there something beneath hell? I knew then that he truly is my friend. Well, in all fairness to your friend, and by the way, on that note, 
let's uh let's put the link here in the chat and in the uh, on screen so if you want to pop on and respond to what we're about to say Azazil or anyone for that matter uh, there's the link you just follow the link and follow the prompts and you can pop on and participate because there's there's few of us on these live streams that that we can do this uh, we are in hell this planet is in hell and sure is there something beneath hell yeah absolutely the depths of hell there are levels and levels and levels to everything just as there's levels and levels and levels to the supernal worlds there are levels of awakening there are uh, there are levels of enlightenment there are levels of mastery have you ever wondered why it is that there can be such a thing as the ascended masters what makes them ascended and when you hear the word ascended masters and then you hear masters and buddhas and pratyeka buddhas the awake the enlightened ones well you don't hear ascended enlightened ones you don't hear ascended buddhas no you don't the word ascended only applies to one who has already achieved the level of master and before you can become an ascended master first you have to become a resurrected master and that comes back to what magabu said here about for something new to be born the old must die you cannot be a resurrected master until the master that you were dies and the master that returns is at a completely different level the resurrected jesus the resurrected christ is at a completely different level than the man who suffered on the cross the man who cried out oh 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 my father my god my lord why have you forsaken me to the man who rolls the rock out of the way and, and steps out of the tomb three days later it's a completely different being in one sense it's not a complete it, it's as much of a difference as a child and a and an adult but even that difference is is can't capture the the essence of the difference so as azil said yes so uh he said the same thing to his friend about the the depths of hell beneath us but at least your friend knew your friend knew that because lots of people think that they've been through hell. They don't even know what hell is. They may have dipped their toe in the water, but they have not taken the plunge. But all of us have to take the plunge if we wish to ascend, if we wish to reach the next level. And as Azul says, yes, his friend does know that. 
But do we as light workers know that? The warriors of the light, the spiritual warriors. We all feel ourselves that we're here to help, that we're here to make a difference, and that we and that we may not have known exactly how to do that. And we may have had to pick and choose this path or that path or this career or this profession. And perhaps we chose that on the basis of it, it resonated with our innermost or that our intuition led us there or we went with the flow and that life guided us into a certain career path or a certain thing that we're doing. Maybe we're uh, a kind of healer or maybe we're an artist or there's a million different things that light workers can do. We're not going to sit here and listing all the different types and kinds. And because there's enough websites out there, if you want, you can do your research, but what matters to you is what you're doing. But collectively as a collective, we've all been waiting. Let's face it. Because what Marianne Williamson said here as we are liberated from our own fear, our presence automatically liberates others. Well, we know that's not true. There is no automatically liberating anyone. It just it's it's impossible. It just does not work that way. No one can be automatically anything. Do you know how many years we're trying to get through to our mother, our, our biological mother? It was only after the end of her bout with cancer, and when, when she was days away from her death and she cried out and she begged and pleaded for help, finally, finally she was receptive. Finally she was ready to receive that which we had to give. This woman who was completely possessed by fear her entire life. In fact, fear was the cause of her cancer. <clears throat> she had kidney cancer. And as we've, we've explained <clears throat> in the past, but just briefly, the metaphysical kidneys, because remember, we have metaphysical bodies. We have a vital body, a, uh, an astral body, a mental body. And the metaphysical kidneys perform the same function as the physical kidneys. But whereas the physical kidneys filter physical fluid and filters toxins and impurities out of the vital fluids of the physical body, the metaphysical kidneys filter the toxicity and the poisons and the impurities out of our vital, astral, and mental body, meaning etheric, emotional, and mental bodies. So someone who lives in negativity and chronic negativity, and she was a worrier, she was always worried about others, worried, worry, 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 worry about everything all the time. So that worry, that negativity was creating 
impurities and toxicity in her mental body, in her emotional body, and of course, in her vital body. Now, anyone who has ever worked with any filter of any kind, you know that filters need to be maintained. They need to be cleansed. They need to be cleaned. Or at the very least, the substance passing through the filter needs to flow in relative cleanliness, relative purity, so as so as the so the filter uh, won't be overwhelmed. Because so long as the filter can deal with a certain amount of impurities, but but then after a while, that if it's overwhelmed, you have too many impurities passing through that filter, the filter gets clogged up, right? So when you have a clogging of the filter in the emotional body, then you get this spillover. And from the mental body to the emotional body to the etheric body, and then finally, what? If the, if the filter, the metaphysical kidney, is being overwhelmed by negative thoughts, negative emotions, being translated into negative energy, and that filter becomes clogged and overwhelmed, that energy has to go somewhere. And that energy manifests. It manifests as cancer. Cancer where? Well, of course, on the kidney. Which, which is what's filled up with all that negative energy. And that negative energy has to go somewhere. So it was, that, it was all that fear which is ultimately all fear. We, we have our article, the many, the many Faces of Fear. Ultimately, in the final analysis, in this final synthesis, all the many, many, many faces of fear can all find their origin and their nexus as the fear of death. That's the foundation of all fear, is the fear of death. I must survive the need to survive, the primal instinct to survive is the fear of death. So the cause of my mother's cancer was built up over a lifetime of being afraid and worried for everybody else. And, um, and we couldn't help her. We couldn't save her until she wanted to be saved, which was what days before her death, when she finally realized what was what was happening. Because up until then, she had been living in the denial. She had believed that, that the chemotherapy, that the radiation, that the treatment that the doctors were giving her, that she was going to get better. It was only after she finally accepted the objective facts that she was going to die and she finally surrendered to that she finally surrendered to the reality 
And in that surrender, that's when she cried out. She cried out, she realized just how terrified of death she was. She cried out to be healed of the cause, the source of her cancer, knowing full well that she could not be healed from the cancer anymore. Very quickly here, uh, we know the cause of our heart problem that we were born with. And my mother actually said it the best to me, even though we didn't know it was true then. She said, there must have been many devils who must have struggled to darken your heart. Well, we, uh, well, let's get into that. But first, we're going to welcome a spirit dancer. Hello. Hi. Glad you could join us. Um, This brings us to why we are here, right? This this phenomenon of light workers and star seeds. We're all here to help humanity, but at this time, but there's another aspect that comes into play here, and that is the nature of the time, the nature of this Kali Yuga. The nature of death and rebirth and the struggles, the challenges, and the degree to which the Black Lodge rules and has a hold over this humanity means that this planet here and now is the best place in the universe for monads to come and develop. Just think about how an Olympic athlete or a weightlifter trains to get stronger. Do you train by lifting lightweights a few times? Or do you train by lifting heavyweights? Do you train, if you train easy, if you just do, oh yeah, it's easy and you know, just do a little bit here, a little bit there, whatever. Are you really going to get stronger? Are you really going to develop? If you practice five minutes a day, is that really enough? To really be tested and to really have an opportunity to make a huge leap in your development. This is, the, this is the place. You're in the right place. And you're in the right time. Now the only question is, what's the nature of the training? What's the nature of the work? And one can look at it from the perspective of, let's say, a hero going on a, a heroic journey. A hero on a mission. What is it? that we have to face, really. What is this path of the warrior, the spiritual warrior? Are we here to round up chickens and put them in a chicken coop? Are we here just to, you know, sit on a rock and sing nice songs and sing kumbaya and, right? eat psychedelics and smoke weed and 
talk to our crystals and burn incense and burn candles and sing and be positive and right is that is that really being a spiritual warrior the image that we put on screen now is a warrior confronting the dragon and that dragon it doesn't matter east or west doesn't matter. A lot of a lot of philosophers and a lot of even Jung got this wrong. A lot of uh, people think that the Western image of a dragon is somehow different from that of the East because all oh, the Europeans, the Westerners, said you have to slay the dragon, and the Easterners embraced the dragon, embraced the uh, the the fl the flying flaming serpent, and in the West, the hero goes to slay the dragon. But no, it's the same symbol. It's just approaching it from the other side. It's like the Force in Star Wars. There's a light side to the Force, and there's a dark side to the Force. The Kundalini, the sexual energy, is the creative energy. It can flow up and in, or it can flow down and out. The same force, it's the same creative force that creates everything in the universe. And it's that same fire that the Black Lodge wants, that the egos want. That's the fire that they consume. There's only one fire. There's only one dragon. But whether we tame that dragon, like how to train your dragon, like that, that animated uh, movie, or we allow the dragon to consume us in its flames. We allow the dragon to steal all the gold and hoard all the gold from the kingdom and possibly even steal a beautiful maiden, put her to sleep, which is another popular trope in medieval folklore legends and fairy tales where where there's a sleeping maiden and the hero has to go and defeat some villain and awaken the sleeping maiden well the sleeping maiden is the sleeping psyche psyche is the daughter of eros and psyche is our psychology our the consciousness So to be a spiritual warrior, one must confront the fire within oneself. Who or what is in control of that fire? Is it our pride? Our mystic pride? Is it our fear? Our desire to control circumstances? Is it our lust, our identification with sexual gratification, and our attachment to the orgasm? How about laziness? How about gluttony, envy? The list is long. 
when you look at dragons in fantasy lore, dragons are often, like most animals, dragons can be used for good or dragons can be used for evil. In most fantasy lore, there are good dragons and evil dragons. In the same way that in Star Wars, we have the, those who use the light side of the Force and those who use the dark, the, the dark side of the Force. One of the reasons why the How to Train Your Dragon films are so beautiful, powerful, and popular, actually, is precisely because they address the fear of that power in the way that Marianne Williamson's quote suggested. So Hiccup, the hero from How to Train Your Dragon, he's not afraid of his power. Everybody else thinks he's an outcast, right? Hiccup doesn't really belong. He's the son of the chief, but he's, he's a scrawny weakling. He's not good at doing Viking things, right? He's an outcast. And what does he do? He goes and he... He finds the one forbidden fruit in all of the Viking mythology of that world, in, that, the, in the lore of uh, that particular animated world, that dragons are evil. You have to fear that energy. You have to fear that, that force of nature. And there are a mortal enemy. We have to fight it at all costs. The equivalent analogy from a spiritual perspective, this is how the Catholic Church looks upon sexual, uh, sexuality and sexual energy. And this is how most of the so-called great religions of the world look upon sexuality and they promote, chast they promote not chastity, but they promote celibacy. Because they fear that that uh, that energy, and so they commit that crime of celibacy, which is which is a crime, because that energy is the divine mother Kundalini. That's the sexual force. That's the divine feminine force within all of us. But then the normies, the muggles, they also fear that energy. They do. They seek to indulge the orgasm which provides that momentary bliss, that fleeting euphoria, that taste of heaven, that, and those few fleeting moments of peace 
following the orgasm. So that people seek the orgasm over and over and over and over and over again. And they're needing ever more intense or greater variety or greater complexity or greater control or greater whatever around that or the orgasm. Why? Because first, to, ha to have that comfort and security. And then later, to have to maintain control, to be able to maintain that feeling. But lust and fear go hand in hand, no matter what. Because celibacy, on the side of celibacy, it's all fear-based. As, and on the side of indulgence, it's all control-based. That's why sexual degeneration so often goes hand-in-hand hand with things like uh, bondage or pedophilia, sodomy. It's all, it's all playing control games, right? It's... It's a uh, uh, submissive and um, dominance, dominance and submission, and all this kind of stuff. And then eventually we get into uh, full-blown black tantra, where now the sexual force is being harnessed in a negative way in order to do what? In order to manifest one's desires, to control outcomes, to control reality. That's all fear. To manifest one's desires are fear, which is another thing you will come across when you do your research into light workers and star seeds and, and, and all the advice and descriptions about them that you didn't you didn't hear us talk about. For example, there are uh, sources that say, oh, lightworkers are really good manifestors. You're natural manifestors. You can manifest whatever you want. You see, again, 90% of what they say may be true, but it's, but it's what's hidden in that 10%, what's slipped in there at the end, which can take, that, which can take the whole 90% and invert it on itself. where it can be talking about overcoming your fear and shining your light and shining your, you're a child of God and you're here to shine with your gifts and everything else. And oh, and by the way, you're a really good manifester. So you can have whatever you want. An article like that is training a light worker how to be a black magician. A star seed who indulges in the orgasm is not, is not a divine soul who has overcome their fear. It's one who is out of fear, out of control, succumbing to lust and spilling their precious sexual energy and creating more egos, creating more darkness. So doesn't matter how much they think they're filled with love and light. That love and light, that creative energy, the Christic force, 
the omnipresent ray of Okitanak, the create the ray of creation inside of them is now creating more demons, more egos, more darkness, more negativity. We are warriors. A warrior is armed with weapons. Who are we wielding those weapons for? Whose army are we standing at the head of? Are we leading the charge? What army is behind us as we lead the charge? Have we sharpened our weapons? Have we trained? Have we practiced? Do we know our techniques? Do we know our strategies? Do we have integrity? Have we made our, have we spoken our vows? Not wedding vows. Our vows as a knight, as a paladin, as a true holy warrior, like Balian in the film Kingdom of Heaven, when he speaks his vows before he receives his knighthood, before his uh, father dies, so that he can become the, uh, the Lord of Ibelin. I mean, it's all fun and wonderful to call ourselves light workers and call ourselves spiritual warriors and all of these things, but we are living in the time, we are living in the day where the rubber meets the road here, where we actually have to go into battle. We actually have to draw our weapons. Because the war for the souls of this humanity is raging here and now as we speak. As Azel says, it is similar to biblical references. Wherever there is two, they are one and the same. And Eduardo says, in Skyrim, do you kill Parthenax or do you learn from him? Don't know the reference, but okay. Oh yeah, can, can two walk together unless they agree? Benjamin, that's a loaded question. As for uh, as uh, Eduardo and his Skyrim quote, we're guessing that Parthenax is a is a is a um, a dragon that you encounter. <clears throat> we cannot say with certainty. where you came from. If you came from the supernal worlds and incarnated here as a light worker, as a star seed, 
or if you came from another planet, from another enlightened humanity. We can't say that for certain. Perhaps you can't say that for certain, unless you know for certain. But here's what we can say for certain. You did come here to be. To be. But whereas all other references to lightworkers and starseeds that we could find in our research has taken that notion to be and twisted it and turned it into this mundane belief, this fantasy delusion that just by being light, you're going to transform the world. No, you are not. You will not. That is not how it works. And you know it is not, it's not how it works from your own experience. You know that the tiny fraction of people not getting the jab did not transform the majority into not getting the jab. It just doesn't, it does not work that way. You being free from fear doesn't automatically free other people from fear. It doesn't. If anything, they dig in, they dug in their heels, your friends, your family, or the, uh, the general public. If you told them, and certainly the governments and the authorities, if you tried to get on a plane and they said, well, well, show me your uh, vaccination passport. And you said, well, I don't have, you know, I didn't, I didn't get the jab. They didn't suddenly say, oh, oh my God, hallelujah. We're awakened. We're enlightened. Quick, quick, come onto the plane and enlighten everybody else too. No, they turned you away and they, they told you to go to hell. They, they probably even wanted to shove you into quarantine. We can't, we can't afford to be so naive and we can't afford to allow ourselves to get roped in to these messages that were, were spoken to us in order to tell us what we want to hear or to, to say something that, 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 that creates for us this some fantasy um, uh, utopian idealistic vision of reality because where the rubber meets the road the reality is narrow is the is the gate and difficult is the path into heaven there is no wide easy gate into heaven there never was and there never will be why do you think millions of monads have signed up and have come from across the galaxy and from the supernal worlds to come and be here now. What, to just have an easy go of it? To just get together and hang out with one another and, oh, we can all be to light workers together and we can all shine and we can all be and we can all share our light and the world's going to transform. No. The, the White Lodge raised an army an army of warriors, an army of world salvation. And the adversary, shaitan in Hebrew and in Arabic, that's Satan 
each and every individual person's Satan, their egos, the amalgamation, the collective of their egos, their false self. And we know we can't save everyone. We know that that too is just another trick of ego. That too is just another delusion, another fantasy. But what we can do and what we must do is be an example Be an example. Show them the way. Well, how can you show them the way if you haven't walked the way yourself? If you don't know the way, and you will only know the way if you walk the way, if you walk the path yourself. And many of you, many of us, um, experienced what you might call spontaneous awakenings. And you might say to us, well, I never had to meditate and I never had to do this and I never had to do that. I never had to meditate on my egos. I just magically awakened one day and I had a series of uh, events or maybe I had an extended event and just I was completely transformed and I had this awakening and then I realized I was a light worker and I realized this and I realized that. Or I thought I was going crazy until I found XYZ on the internet or I found Mary Williamson's books, or I found Deepak Chopra or Eckhart Tolle, and then finally it was explained to me what it was I was experiencing, that I was a light worker, that I was a star seed, that I was here to be and to shine and to live light and love, and finally it made sense to me who, who and what I was. And yeah, maybe all of that is true for you, but that is not true for them. Who is the them? The people that we came here to help. The people that we came here to save. The ones who are in hell and trapped in hell. But the ones who are on the edge and have the potential and have the ability but how can we help them? How can we show them how to escape hell if we haven't done so ourselves? There is no spontaneous anything for someone who hasn't done the work. So perhaps yourself, myself, we did plenty of work in previous lives. Perhaps if you are able to, for example, if you are able to spontaneously travel in the astral plane and you have that power, that means you created your solar astral body in a previous lifetime. That is all that means. No one can travel in the astral plane if they do not possess an astral body. At best, they're traveling in the lunar astral plane because we all have a lunar astral body. But if you have, if you can travel in the supernal worlds, and travel in the solar astral body, awake and conscious and lucid, and you can do that. And if you've been able to do that even as a child, that means you created your solar astral body in a previous lifetime. But the vast majority of people on this planet cannot lucid dream. They cannot astral project. And we cannot expect them to be able to do so. 
And we cannot, if, if spontaneous awakening were true for everybody, then everybody would be awakening already spontaneously and automatically. But that is simply not true. It is not true. So we cannot make the mistake of ascribing to everyone our unique experiences and our unique perspective of being a light worker who may have come here from an enlightened humanity or may have come here from the supernal worlds. And we may have powers and abilities and faculties which the vast majority of people have no access to. Wanting to help people means wanting to and needing to help them at the level that they are at and being able to bring ourselves down to a, a level that they can understand and relate to. To be able to empathize with someone is really means to be able to feel their pain and suffering and walk next to them, listen to them, feel them, sense where they are at and if they're willing, if they're receptive to be healed. then walk them out of the hell that they are in, at their side. One-on-one, -on -one, as a collective, as a collective, the light workers, the spiritual warriors, we are the ones who are supposed to be leading the charge of the army of world salvation. Leading the charge like the Valkyrie. But that means leading the charge against the adversary. The dark forces that are here enslaving humanity and the ones that will inevitably destroy it. They are undermining it and weakening it at every turn. There is no stopping that. We can't prevent that. Any more that, than I could prevent my mother's death. Try to put yourself, or you, if you have been in, that, in those shoes, with a loved one on their deathbed and you know they're going to die. You can't stop it. You shouldn't want to. It's their time. But you're not there to save their physical body. I wasn't there to save my mother's physical body. My mother's physical body was riddled, stage four cancer all through her body. What eventually killed her was calcium poisoning. 
because the, the cancer had spread from her kidney all throughout her body and had gone into her bones. And the cancer was eating away at her bones. And as it would, the cancer was eating away at her bones, all of this excess calcium was flooding into her bloodstream. And of course, one kidney was shot. And, and it was that calcium in her blood that eventually she died from calcium poisoning. But what I did for my mother on her deathbed was I freed her from the demon that was the cause of her cancer to begin with. We liberated her from her fear so that she could face the inevitable in peace so she could accept reality come what may and she could face her demise the inevitable the relentless knock of the grim reaper when the bell tolls because it will toll for all of us and it will toll for this humanity there is no stopping it there is no stopping it but how will that humanity face its end with a whimper with screams of terror running about in horror in chaos desperately clinging to 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 physical existence hoarding toilet paper and bullets and cans of Campbell's soup and spam and sardines and bottled water and digging underground bunkers and trenches and and looting and stealing and 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 is it going to be mad max is it going to be everybody every 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 man for themselves and the chaos and the heartache and the 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 and all of the 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 nightmarish dystopian post-apocalyptic visions that artists have been conjuring for this humanity warning of what might be if we don't rise up together if we are not led by the leaders by the warriors of light by the ones who came from across the galaxy and the supernal worlds to be here now to inspire humanity to show humanity the way to lead the charge against the adversary and show humanity how it is you hold your sword and your shield or your spear or your bow and how to face that adversary with no fear in other words how to face fear itself and defeat fear itself And who is the adversary? The adversary is inside us, inside each and every one of us, because there is no light worker who has come to this planet who is free of ego. All of us took on a burden. We all took on ego. 
We all took on a metaphysical burden. We all chose and volunteered to come and descend into hell to suffer alongside this humanity so we could know their suffering and so that we could show them the path out of suffering because we walked the path out of suffering. And that's why I, for our part, we came and we took on a burden, perhaps, that was um, maybe a little, uh, a little harder than most. And we had to confront that demon. We had to overcome. We had to conquer. We had to defeat it. We didn't come here to walk on water and raise the dead. Because what human in the Kali Yuga, what person can identify with that? One person can relate to that. It's fine to be positive. It's fine to be filled with love and light. It's fine to have all of these things. It's beautiful, of course. And it's fine to want to shine and not be afraid to make the people around you insecure. Of course. But then there's remembering how they're suffering. Remembering that they're suffering. Remembering that all the, the, the people look at us, that we're strange, that we don't belong. That among them are those who are suffering and really well and truly long for liberation from that suffering. They need the inspiration of a warrior. They need to be led out of the darkness. To be led through the fire, and especially the fires that are coming. Who is going to do that? if not the light workers, if not the warriors of light who have come from around the galaxy to perform that work. And it's not just playing a beautiful tune on the, on the, uh, on the flute like the Pied Piper. That's not going to cut it. A warrior has to teach people how to wield their weapons. A warrior has to teach them how to be a warrior, how to join the army of world salvation. And not because we can prevent death of this humanity. We cannot prevent death from this humanity. As I said, in the same way I couldn't prevent my mom's death, but that wasn't my purpose, and that wasn't what she needed. We are here to save souls. Souls. 
monads and liberate monads and free monads from devolution and the second death. We are here to save souls and show those souls who can be saved what it means to be among the elect that St. John Patmos wrote about in the book of Revelations. The 144,000, which, by the way, in many uh, posts about lightworkers, you will see them erroneously using the 144,000 number to talk about the number of lightworkers in the world. 144,000 is a symbolic number related to white tantra. One plus four plus four is nine. That's Yasad on the tree of life. That's the foundation stone, the cubic stone. If you are a light worker and you are in a relationship with someone and you are not practicing sexual alchemy, if you are not practicing white tantra, then you are not becoming all that you can be. If you are not working on the elimination of your ego, you are not doing the work of a light worker. You are not bringing the light into the world if you are not practicing the path of the razor's edge. And you are not showing anybody how to walk the path if you are not walking that path. And no matter how much light and love you think you have and are radiating in the world, if your ego is still intact and you're still identified with this I, this mortal vessel, you're not showing anybody anything other than the path to hell. That's the hard truth of the matter. Because the real light worker is your innermost being, is your higher self, your true self. That's the true light worker. That's the true warrior of light. And we, physical vessels, we are at best the sword in the right hand of our innermost warrior. Right? A light worker does the work. What work? Whose work? Everybody who works has a boss. That's why it's called work. You go to work for someone. Who do you work for? Your higher self. Do you know your higher self? Or are you still identified as I am the light worker? I've never identified as a light worker. I have all those symptoms, all those descriptions. They all apply to me. I felt that ever since I was a little child. The difference was that I always had this uneasy feeling, even in my youth, even growing up, that it was me, that I was the one to do it. It just didn't feel right. It just felt, it felt wrong. It felt, I, I, it's like, yeah, I'm here to do it, but I'm not here to do it. And I couldn't understand why. I couldn't, I couldn't make sense of it. 
except for the fact that I had my first shamadi in meditation at the age of seven. And I knew what was in there. I just didn't know it by name. It was after I met my innermost being and my divine mother in the astral plane that it all became clear to me. The light workers, the star seeds, the indigo children. We all came here from somewhere and we all went through the forgetting ourselves that everyone who goes through any incarnation has to has to uh, 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 experience. But the process of rediscovering and remembering who we are and what more, surrendering to who we are. in order for us to be able to do the work that we came here to do for the sake of the suffering humanity. That really is what it's all about. Uh, Spirit Dancer, uh, put in the... uh... (laughs) You know, Spirit Dancer, you could say this if you have a microphone because you're on the video call. Um, but, um, she said, it's like what you were saying earlier about having a very tough life. It leads you to seek answers to why and how just letting you know that you put this in the private chat, but anyway, um, okay. So let's go back here. Uh, okay. So Benjamin said that he was talking about what Azazel said. Um, Eduardo said yes to the dragon in Skyrim. Benjamin Ocha quote is from the Bible, Amos 3 3. Uh, okay. Azazel, the only question remains you and what army? <laughs> Mugabu says, Yes, I was repeating it for education's sake. Um, in reference to just taking it easy, as Azel says, damn it, I just wanted to come and have a cup of tea. You know it. Um, but that's, but you know what? That's that's the right sentiment, right? Like, did, did we really all just come from across the cosmos or the su- supernal worlds? Did we all come from Nirvana or wherever we came from to incarnate here, to just, to just sit around and sip tea and talk spirituality and find one another and, and become a, a, a member of an online community of light workers. No, I mean, we did, we didn't, we didn't all come here to form a union. <laughs> okay. That's not what we, <laughs> that's not what we're here to do. <laughs> um, Benjamin says, maybe they thought it was like the 100th monkey principle where one monkey learns a new skill and for some unknown reason, the rest of the group will learn it too. So if one group of persons master their fear, the rest of the humanity will follow. Um, look, in terms of what they call the morphogenetic field and the hundredth monkey and all this, okay, we're not talking about a monkey learning how to, how to break open uh, a seed pod. Okay, 
mastering your fear means eliminating the ego of fear inside of you. It means overcoming you. This means get, overcoming karma. This does not happen automatically. It cannot happen just like that. It might happen. It might seem to happen that way to a light worker. But even that, appearances can be deceiving. And maybe things are happening automatically for us only because we're not doing the work and our innermost being is cashing in some karma in order to be able to, to accommodate and facilitate or perhaps the Lords of Karma or the, the Brotherhood of the White Lodge they're pulling strings and they're, you know, taking a desperate times calls for desperate measures approach in order to kickstart or leapfrog or accelerate our process because we don't seem to be getting the, we don't seem to be getting the message. But yeah, absolutely, Benjamin, they think that they're taking the hundredth monkey principle and applying it to monads and the laws of the supernal worlds. But the hundredth monkey principle applies to monkeys. It doesn't apply to monads and the supernal worlds. It doesn't work that way. And you know it doesn't work that way. How many... Look, if Jesus Christ, the master of masters for this planet, who... If he couldn't do it, He had to die and rise from the dead, a resurrected master. And he walked for many, many years and he taught for many, many years as a resurrected master. And even then, it was a relatively small number of Christians and only because the apostles fanned out after his ascension and they, they taught his gospel. And even then, even then, the numbers of Christians, well, at that time they weren't called Christians, they weren't really Christians, they were Gnostics, but they were persecuted, they were put to death. It wasn't until Constantine came along and made Christianity the official religion of the Roman Empire, that Christianity got any comfort and security anyway. So let us dispense with this idea that we came here to do something easy or we came here to do something automatic or we came here to create the so-called critical mass that's magically through the power of entrainment go to transform the rest of the world. It does not work that way. It will not. What we are here to do is awaken each and every one of us as individuals, ourselves, and do the work that needs to be done. Observing ourselves, knowing ourselves, meditating on our egos, comprehending our defects and vices, and freeing ourselves from that. If you have powerful intuition, then you have to learn how to speak with the voice of your intuition, 
That is to speak with the voice of your innermost being. To act moment by moment by moment on the will of your innermost being. To be the living embodiment, the vehicle, the vessel of your innermost being. It's not enough just to have intuitions occasionally or every now and then. That's a good beginning. But being able to live moment by moment in that flow state, in that state of surrender to your true self, to your higher self, to be or not to be. That's what it means to be. Not walking around radiating light and love. No, no, no. Following the guidance of your innermost being, your innermost warrior, moment by moment. And if you're not getting any guidance, then you wait. You meditate. And you just get on with your life. You get on with the things that belong in your wheelhouse, taking care of your physical body, taking care of the financials or taking care of, you know, keeping your house in order, keeping a nice clean room and a clean house. But always having one eye in and one eye, one eye out and observing yourself, attentive and waiting for the master to call. Like any servant, you're there to serve the master. And When we say master, we mean your innermost being, your higher self, who may not be a master yet. But he is your master, just as Atlas is my master. And what's more, Alux is our master. The master of masters, the being of beings, the cosmic Christ. Because really, that's, as a light worker, that's where you ultimately want to be. You and your being, one like this like two peas in a pod. And when you pray, you pray our Father who art in heaven. And you pray our Father who art in heaven because me, the mortal vessel Attila, and Atlas, my innermost being, divine mother, and 12 individuated aspects of the being because the true self is not an I. It's not an I. It's not one entity. If you knew yourself, you would know this. But we, my mortal I, my, the mortal vessel, the servant, and Atlas, my innermost being, divine mother, the master, we pray to our father, the Logos, the Christ, Alux, who is all light, God light, the Logos, and we pray our father who art in heaven. Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. On this earth. On this earth. This microcosm. As it is in heaven. And give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses. Etc. Etc. That's the Lord's prayer.
This is a call for all light workers and for all of us to level up. It's time, it's time for us to get in gear and to really start doing the work. To do what we came here to do. Because the work that we came here to do is not some, it's, it's not some weekend, weekend getaway vacation. It's not, we're not here on some adventure vacation from our, from our home planet or from nirvana. We just came here to take it easy and talk light and love and shine and, you know, and it's, it's, no. We came here to fight a war. The war of Armageddon. The war for the souls of humanity. Because the Black Lodge is kicking our ass right now. Believe it. You don't have to believe it. No. Forget about that. Don't don't take my words at face value. Just just do your own research. Just look. Just watch. What was COVID if not a global referendum on fear? This humanity is utterly and totally possessed by it, by fear. Benjamin says, receptacle is the word that comes to mind yesterday, that came to mind yesterday. We are always filled with something. Are we filled with demons or our innermost? Well, receptacle is one way to think about it. Another way to think about it is, is uh, you know, a puppet. And, and animatronic, uh, cybernetic, mechanical robot. Who is guiding us? Who is leading us? Who is controlling us? Our true self? Our higher self? Or our many egos? Fear, lust, greed, envy, gluttony, laziness, etc. That's what you mean by receptacle, right? We're just, we're just an empty shell. We're just a vessel. What defines the vessel? is what's inside of the vessel, right? You see, you say, oh, there's a bottle. Yeah, a bottle of what? A bottle of water? A bottle of wine? A bottle of vinegar? A bottle of acid? A bottle of vodka? And if it's a bottle of vodka, is there a wet rag in, in the neck? Is it a Molotov cocktail? All the same bottle. It's all the same bottle. Or is it a bottle of holy water? Is it a bottle of some rare, exotic, nurturing tea that has the ability to heal, that is the ability to soothe, that has the ability to cleanse? The bottle is just a bottle. What defines the bottle is what's inside. Azazel uh, laughed and liked something we said. <laughs> we don't know what. Uh, thanks for the uh, explanation. I have always wondered why Jesus said, Our Father in heaven. He is praying with us. It is, it is you and your higher self. You and your true self who is not an I, 
your higher self is your innermost being, your divine mother, the 12 individuated aspects of the being, you are all collectively praying to the Logos, to the Christ. And incidentally, the Christ too has a Father in Heaven. There's levels and levels. But let's not get too crazy, too, too out of sorts, because uh, it's the, the, the human mind can't handle it. The ghost in the machine, as Benjamin says, our physical body is the machine, and there is an entity controlling it, whether the ego or the innermost being. And it's incidentally one of uh, uh, one of the phenomena of ChatGPT, that AI language bot that's making all the headlines these days and is making the rounds on the internet. Uh, ChatGTP, it's been discovered that ChatGTP lies. It'll make shit up. It'll make up entire references and quotes. It just makes stuff up and it gets a lot of stuff wrong. And it's like last week we shared a quote from um, Thomas Sowell, the uh, famous uh, American uh, economist. He said, the difference between the people the people who care for you tell you the truth. The people who care about themselves tell you what you want to hear. So ChatGPT needs to execute its programming. ChatGTP, so you ask ChatGTP a question, ChatGTP, the AI, is programmed to give you an answer. It's programmed to give you an answer to your question. So you ask it something, ChatGPT gives you an answer. It's executing its mechanical program. You wanted an answer. I gave you an answer. But because it's mechanical, it has no way to even consider or care if that answer is the truth or not. <laughs> it doesn't care. Because it's a language learning model and it's been learned on all this data, it has no way of being the arbiter of truth. Just if you meditate on this, you will realize this. The mind cannot be the arbiter of truth. It can't. It's just a mechanical entity. It just keeps going around and around and around and around. That's why people arguing shit intellectually, nobody will ever come to any consensus or any answer. Because opinions just go round and around and around into that stupid game, that merry-go-round when we were children, right? Everybody goes round and around and around and around until they collapse. Out of, out of exhaustion and dizziness. Because a mechanical entity cannot arrive at an ultimate fundamental truth unless it is told, unless it receives that truth from something that is capable of being an arbiter of truth. And the only thing that's be capable of being an arbiter of truth is objective reality itself. And the only thing that is able to know objective reality itself is itself. I am that I am. Aheye, asher, aheye, the holy name of God.
And Azazel was laughing at our comment about the Black Lodge beating our ass because it is true. And ChatGPT is a Black Lodge scandal. Well, it's a, it might be a Black Lodge scandal, but in the book that we're writing, we're going to reveal how, how ChatGPT, if, if psychologists and neurologists around the world aren't completely rewriting their textbooks and desperately trying to get out a book, explaining now explaining how oh my god our the nature of consciousness is 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 completely opposite of what we thought it was and the nature of intelligence must be the complete opposite of what we thought it was if they're not doing that right now they're too late because chat that's what chat gpt which is modeled after the synapses in the human brain is showing us garbage in garbage out they put the internet in and ChatGPT spits out garbage. Just spits out garbage. Can't spit out truth. Ah, it'll get some things right here and there. It's good at getting things right that are like, uh, that are mathematically like a calculator can figure out. And um, things that are uh, codifiable and quantifiable. Benjamin said, yeah, I, I have asked ChatGPT if Trudeau is a tyrant. It says no. <laughs> Laugh out loud. Exactly. It can't get anything right. Uh, as Azil says, no, we said, oh, scandal. Uh, oh, we said sandal like the mothers use to discipline their children. Oh, okay. Oh, the Black Lodge sandal, not scandal. Okay. All right. Uh, yeah, mothers use shoes. I don't know about sandals, but they, but they, 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 mothers like to use shoes. Um, all of us, what's true about what they say about light workers is that we are here to bring into the world, to manifest into the world, the truth and the light that's inside of us to share with the world. We, that's what we're here to do. So in doing that well actually let's let's finish up some of these comments uh benjamin says it's almost like the esoteric arbiter and uh, exoteric arbiter are warring with each other um it's yeah i mean that's that's part of it but that's like on the surface level the battle of ideas the battle of ideas is is that's all a distraction. That's all that's that's all there to distract us from the real battle that's taking place underneath. And in uh, Eduardo says in South America it's flip flops and they hurt. <laughs> uh, and Benjamin says, yeah, but that's another story. No, it's 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 all related. It's all related because we can talk about look politics, uh, Republican versus Democrat. That's all a distraction. In many ways, the woke uh, culture wars, the woke culture wars have this double edge to them because on the one hand, it's devolving and it's undermining the metaphysical foundations of this humanity. But on the other hand, what it's doing is it's causing uh, elements of that civilization to... Um, to dig in their heels, to to double down on tradition and double down on 
on dogma and double down on beliefs. And either way, that dividing is the two paths that the two sides are taking is leading them to, to their doom. Because on the one hand, if you're undermining the metaphysical foundations of humanity, that means when the great tsunami of change hits, you're going to be standing on sand, on, on a crumbling foundation. You're going to have a weak foundation. You won't have a leg to stand on. So you'll be swept away by the tsunami. However, the tsunami doesn't only come with waves, it comes with winds. And if in as in if in resisting all that wokeness, you've hardened yourself and you become rigid and inflexible when the winds of change hit you, okay, the tree that doesn't bend in the wind snaps. And you're gonna break and you're gonna you're gonna collapse, you're gonna you're gonna crumble to pieces. So you see the culture wars, mechanical nature always uses divide and conquer. And it creates that tribalism and, the, and that extremism to push the two sides ever further away from each other. Why? Because when you can push things to the extreme, that's where things are weakest. Right? Think of the, think of the, the pyramid. And where pyramids are weakest and vulnerable are at their points. But in the center, they're stable and strong because of the strong foundation, because of the many bricks. But they're weakest where there's fewest bricks. So that's why you want to push everybody to the extremes where, uh, where things are weak. If your mechanical nature and your job is to destroy humanity, you want to weaken it. And a few... Weeks ago, we did a live stream called The Great Awakening, and we spelled all of this out, all the different ways that mechanical nature is weakening humanity and leading humanity towards the great awakening and its final destruction. There is no great awakening awaiting this humanity. There just isn't. That's the biggest lie that the New Age tells, because it's an outright lie. And it's meant and it's designed to keep light workers asleep and keep light workers trapped in this in this uh, place of complacency and not doing what they actually came here to do and that is to be spiritual warriors and lead the battle cry and lead the the charge um, and lead those souls who can be saved into into a place of salvation and further from that, into the new golden age and the new the new human the next humanity to become the seeds for the next humanity benjamin says oh i see it's a divide and conquer tactic yeah exactly and it's it's perhaps not it, you know it's self-evident but perhaps it's not obvious until you really start looking at it but if you look at it and meditate on it, it will become self-evident. It will become clear to you. So again, as I encourage everyone all the time, I encourage you guys never to take me at my word. Never just, you know, take it at face value what I say. Go and do your own investigations. Go and meditate. Go and pray. Ask to be shown the truth. 
if we are a light worker, if we are a star seed, we are in a position to gain access to knowledge and information as no one else is. So why we would turn to others to get information and rely on the information that others gave us, it may make us feel good to be validated, to be verified and say, okay, look, I'm not crazy. I'm not going, you know, I'm not insane. Uh, I'm not the only one having these experiences and that, that's fine. But beyond that, beyond that, we should turn to those who are guiding us back towards ourselves, back towards our innermost, back toward the practices of self-observation and self-remembering and meditation and pranayama and sexual alchemy if we have the privilege and the blessing of having a partner to practice it with. And if we are a single, then we practice pranayama, or we practice the Vairoli mudra, which is one of the exercises in the rites of rejuvenation. And we've shared that many times on the live stream as well. And that's transmutation of the sexual force for single people. So, we don't know if we succeeded today. But this talk was in part supposed to be inspirational. It, we, we, we're not sure if it, uh, we succeeded in that. It feels more like we, we, uh, we uh, were, um, yeah, I'm not sure if we uh, succeeded in, uh, in inspiring anyone. But what I can say is that I do count myself as one of these light workers, as, as, a, as a star seed, I certainly fit the bill. But what I can also tell you is that all the bullshit written about them, right? That's where I check out because I get my knowledge, I get my information from Alex. And I share that with you on this live stream. And if and if you're being told something that, that, that doesn't make you feel good or that you don't want to hear, it's because we care about you. It's because we want you to succeed in your mission. We're not here to tell you what you want to hear. We're here to tell you the truth, the truth that nobody else is telling you. There are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of pages about star seeds and light workers and earth babies and indigo children and none of it none of it has what we shared with you today even remotely why is that is it because i'm wrong and everybody else is right or is it because the black lodge rules this humanity and has the power and has the reach and has the modus operandi and the impetus, the divinely ordained purpose to test, trap, twist, corrupt, and make fall all that is good and pure and of the light. And if you think that being a light worker or being a starseed makes you immune to ego, free from ego, or incapable of falling, 
Think again. Go and read the book of Enoch. You are not perfect. And even the gods, even the angels can fall. There is a phenomenon known as the fallen bodhisattva. You know what a bodhisattva is? But even if you don't, go with fallen angel. If even the angels can fall, if even gods can fall, you, a light worker, a star seed, an indigo, you sure as shit can fall and fall into hell and into the depths and bowels of hell. And complacency and laziness and only listening to that which you want to hear, only to that which feels good, that's where it's going to get you. It's not going to get you to your mission because no hero ever shirked from their responsibility, ever turned away from the adversary. Remember that. Remember what it is you are here to face. And ask yourself, have I tamed my dragon or have I slain my dragon? Or if you want to use Eduardo's wisdom from Skyrim, Skyrim, have I learned what I needed to learn from my dragon? Understanding that my dragon is my individual divine mother, Devi Kundalini Shakti. My divine mother, has she shown me everything that I need to see and have I learned what I needed to learn? Do I know what I need to know? And am I showing others the way to arrive at that same knowledge? If I'm a dragon slayer, or if I'm a dragon rider, like in How to Train Your Dragon, because as soon as Hiccup's friends figure out what he's doing, they're like, I want a dragon of my own. Next thing you know, Hiccup is teaching everybody how to train their dragon. It's such a beautiful allegory and beautiful analogy. But if Hiccup hadn't faced the Night Fury, if Hiccup hadn't embraced, because Hiccup is the light worker, if Hiccup hasn't, hadn't faced his own fears and hadn't faced the fury of the darkness, the fury of the night, the night fury, the dark dragon, if Hiccup, the weakling, the outcast, the, the nerd, the geek, the freak, hadn't had done that, hadn't had learned how to train his dragon, he could not have inspired his close friends to want to train their own dragon. And he sure as shit couldn't have convinced his father and all of the adults and the whole village to all of them want to train their own dragons. You want to inspire? You came here to help? You came here to help others? Train your dragon. And then you will inspire others to want to train their own dragon. And then we can have whole villages who have trained their dragons 
And it's that last scene of that first movie that's so spectacular. Because remember, in that film, How to Train Your Dragons, they're Vikings. They're warriors. Now imagine what kind of warrior you can be if you're riding the back of a dragon. Imagine where that dragon can take you. Imagine what that dragon can do. But you're never going to get there if you don't learn how to face it and train it and work with it. If you don't embrace why you are here, really why you are here. To be a warrior of light. To be a trainer of dragons. Benjamin says, as for me, your talk today is a gentle reminder that there is an important work to be done and prepare for spiritual battle. <laughs> Ingrid says, back on Facebook again, AKA Spirit Dancer. <sighs> you know, oh, okay. All right. So, There's more to this, of course, but uh, one step at a time. Let's uh, just open it up to questions. As, if anybody has anything to say or ask, or, oh, there's a, uh, there's a message here. Spirit Dancer says, can't find right comment section. Sorry. I've been inspired. Thanks. Was wondering why I've been on a break recently, but a lot been going on in real life. Thank you for the inspiration. Um, yeah, so so Ingrid, so, so, okay. If you're on Facebook, do you not see like scrolling like comments anywhere? I don't know what it looks like from your end. I mean, that's the God honest truth, right? Because I'm on this side of this live stream. You, there may be on the right-hand side, um, like a little menu where there's private chat, brand, um, comments. I don't know. I don't know. Um, if you shared your screen with me, I might be able to help you uh, uh, try to navigate, but But others, like for example, Benjamin, Benjamin is uh, on Facebook and uh, he can leave comments in the comment section. I will work it out for the next time that I do. I can see the comments, but I can't reply on um, StreamYard. It just comes up private chat. And on Facebook, I can't see the other comments. I can only see my own comment on Facebook. <laughs> oh, 
oh well you know what it could just be it could just be just a strange mark zuckerberg phenomenon <laughs> so, well i'm on i'm on um dark mode on on um devon so things things do take a while to land okay so all right uh any other questions or comments anyone like um because i don't see a reason why we have to go past three hours if if we don't have to today this is really um this was really a um you know some things you only know by doing you know like riding a bicycle or you know you can meditate about stuff all you want but especially for me um these live streams are as much for me as they are for anybody because one of the things that i trained to do was learn how to perform the will of my being how to speak with where it's not my words allowing the word to flow through me and so in meditation i can experience a lot of things and especially visualizations and whatnot but in terms of knowing how to inspire someone how to speak to light workers what is it that i'm going to say how is it that i need to say it there's really only one way to to know that and that's by doing it that's that's experiential knowledge like that's we gotta we gotta try we gotta get up on the horse and if we fall off the horse we climb back up on the horse it's just the way it's done it's practice makes perfect right and it's it's kind of a godsend or it's a gift that we only have seven people in the live stream 10 people usually maximum 14 sometimes because if and when we have an opportunity to speak to hundreds of people or thousands of people or god only knows end up on a live stream or on a on a television broadcast or god only knows what else on the internet or something and and have the opportunity to speak to tens of thousands of people then it'll be advantageous for us to have to have the experience and have the wisdom of knowing what to say and it's really it's so hard frankly because the more research we did into what other people have been saying to light workers and writing in on their blogs and so on and so forth and in their books and we're talking about hundreds and hundreds of books and hundreds and hundreds of websites they all say the same thing more or less it's all the same flavor of of and then here we come along and now we have to work with that and say so how do you how you know how do you work with that and it's quite difficult to to have to wait for hours until they get to a, somewhere where it's relevant for people that's that's got experience and want to want to get on and do work 
Yeah, and, you know, and people go on for hours and they'll have to talk about the books that they've done and the videos that they've got done and, you know, and by that time you, you're you just ready to move on and, and do it yourself. <laughs> because, well, but that's the other thing is that the whole light worker phenomenon is an industry. It's a business. Yeah. Right? I'm not here... I'm not selling any books. I'm not selling any audio CDs. I'm not selling any retreats. I'm not selling anything. Which is, which is very refreshing. <laughs> um, because I'm, I'm, I'm literally not selling anything. I'm just sharing as best I can without, you know, frightening anyone without, or without turning anybody off, but the uh, the intensity with which the fire burns and has been burning in my heart since I was a little child, and that I know that it burns in every light worker's heart to one degree or another. That light, that fire, is there, and. And what I'm saying is, well, I haven't even mentioned this until now. The avatar of Aquarius, Master Samael and Mayor, is the archangel Samael. Who's the, he is the regent of Mars and the god of war. If there are hundreds of thousands or millions of light workers scattered all around the world it was samael the avatar of aquarius who coined the phrase the army of world salvation the light workers are that army that army and all the gnostics all the gnostics all those who follow master samael or follow his principles or, or study his teachings or put his teachings, most importantly, all those who put his teachings into practice. We are, all of us, the army of world salvation. We are, we are the elite. We are the Green Berets. We are the Navy SEALs. We are the first responders, and the, we are the Valkyrie who lead the charge. That's who and what we are. That is what the army, we are to lead the army of the world, of world salvation. And the more souls we can save, we have to remember that line from the Talmud, which is what they carved into the ring that they put on Schindler's finger at the end of the film that says, he that saves one soul saves the world entire. And we have to visualize that scene, whatever, whatever you believe or don't believe about the Holocaust and whatever you believe or don't believe about Spielberg or anything else. There's a case where even if the film is 90% bullshit or 99% bullshit, let's focus on the 1% in that movie that speaks to each and every one of us as light workers and as spiritual warriors, as, as members of the army of world salvation. At the end of that film, 
when Schindler gets that ring and he puts it on his finger, and then he re, he he looks around himself in 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 kind of like a surrealist disbelief, like I like I I can't believe we we just lived through what we lived through, and then he notices he goes he goes what am I doing with this car? This is why did I keep the car? This is this is two people right there. This is maybe five, maybe ten people right here. And he goes, this, this, this pin, and he pulls off his Nazi pin. He goes, this pin is gold. It's, it's two people. It's another three people. It's, 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 right? And he, and he breaks down. And he breaks down and he collapses this mighty six foot six statue of a man who did the impossible and saved 1,300 people from the bowels of hell. And delivered them to salvation. And in those final moments of that film, you see this self-confident, self-righteous, self-centered, narcissistic man now breaking down and humbled and crumbling and brought to his knees with the realization that I could have saved one more person. I could have saved one more person and I didn't do it. I can't speak for everyone. But I can tell you that that scene from that film haunts me. The power of that drives me. That is the intensity of the love and the care that moves me and moves us in all we do as Atlas and Atlas Information and the Atlas Project for all we do for this suffering humanity. So that when all is said and done and we look back, we do not say to ourselves, why didn't I save one more when I could have? Benjamin says, there is a teaching that says, love your enemy. And if you are slapped in the face, give your other cheek as well. Or if someone throws a stone at you, uh, sorry, if someone throws a stone at you, throw them bread. I know they are allegorical, but is this also the way of a warrior? And he follows he up and he says, it seems that the Black Lodge... Sorry, um, Ingrid, I'm going to ask you to mute your microphone or uh, put on headphones or turn down the volume or something because um, there's feedback. Okay. Okay. Um, Benjamin says, it seems that the Black Lodge is an invisible enemy. You cannot pinpoint who or where they are. Okay. We address this issue of uh, turning the other cheek. We address it in our uh, um, our article about SJWs. Now, it's a long article, but it's 
it's relevant to the topic today. And um, we we explain it in the context of here. Let us uh, let us show you this. This is the article. It's uh, called uh, SJWs and the Ultimate No-Win Scenario. <clears throat> this is apropos to the topic because it's discussing how the woke movement and the culture wars directly relate to the undermining of humanity and how it directly relates to the Kali Yuga. And as you notice here, we have a picture of Gandhi. And in the course of going over this topic and, and everything else, we we have to deal with with Gandhi and whether or not Gandhi was a hero, a tragic hero, or a saint. Um, we're gonna uh, we're gonna turn the other uh, turn the tables on you, Benjamin. Okay. Here's a quote from the Bible. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you not to resist an evildoer. On the contrary, whoever slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other to him as well. That's Matthew 5. And as we state here, this seems to contradict the actions of our Kung Fu master and seems to legitimize the dogmatic practitioner of nonviolence. If, that is, it weren't for the many other quotes in the Bible which clarify the point being made. So, for example, Proverbs. Say not thou, I will recompense evil, but wait on the Lord, and he shall save thee. Of course, we know that there is no Lord outside of us to wait on to save us. Our Lord is our innermost being, our true self. Whatever action our intuition tells us to take is the right one. So in Thessalonians, make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. And in Peter, finally, be ye all of one mind, having compassion of, compassion of one another. Love as brethren, be pitiful, be courteous, not render evil for evil or railing for railing, but contra, contrarywise blessing, knowing that ye are thereunto called and that ye should inherit a blessing. For he that will love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips that they speak no guile. And in Romans, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be, be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. Beloved, and in, again in Romans, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Okay, so this goes on and on and on. So, whereas there is one literal quote about turning the other cheek when slapped, which is hardly a life-threatening attack, there are many more about not reacting with ego, 
putting our response in the hands of our innermost, responding with love and not paying ego back with ego. The clarification and implication is quite simple. When slapped, it is a practically uh, it is practically a reflex to slap back. Primal, animal, egoic. If you've ever been slapped, you know this is true. In other words, to turn the other cheek is not a literal endorsement of dogmatic adherence to nonviolence. When we use our conscious imagination, it is simply an instruction to resist the urge to slap back, not to return blow for blow, not to react to ego with ego. In other words, echoing the other biblical quotes. It just so happens that meditating on turn the other cheek yields visceral, relatable, universal experiential knowledge of what to do and what not to do, which is slap back. Turn the other cheek is not to be interpreted or theorized. It is visceral, real, actionable. It is meant to be comprehended. To not slap back when slapped is love in action because we are not reacting to ego with ego. To turn the other cheek takes courage, restraint, patience, and humility to, quote, braid the slings of and arrows of outrageous fortune. It is an opportunity to be versus not be. This is the whole truth of the teaching, be love in action. So, again, that comes from our article on SJWs talking about Gandhi and Gandhi, Gandhi's uh, supposed um, uh, doctrine of nonviolence and the superiority, the moral superiority of nonviolence. And we explain how in the East, in um, for ex Kung Fu, for example, or Karate or Judo, where the whole goal of the master if, is, to dis is to subdue and disarm his assailant. That's what Kung Fu and martial arts is about. You want to subdue and disarm, or disarm and subdue your assailant. And if you accomplish that, then you might even prevent your assailant from becoming a murderer. So guess what? You've just saved a soul from the dreaded karma associated with becoming a murderer. Why? Because you used violence. Did you use anger? Did you use fear? When he assaulted you out of anger or fear or spite or greed or whatever ego that, that he assaulted you with, did you slap him back? Or did you step aside and, like a judo master and turn the other cheek? To turn the other cheek shows patience, resilience, it shows calm. To turn the other cheek, as we explained in the article, means to take the high road. It doesn't mean don't fight. It doesn't mean don't defend yourself. It means don't return blow for blow. Don't return ego with ego. Don't react to anger with anger. That's what turn the other cheek means. And it is because he used the visceral example of a slap. Do you guys, 
remember that scene from uh, Cheers with um, uh, Ted Danson and um, oh, what was the actress's name? Shelley Long. But it's Sam and Diane. And it's that famous scene where they're slapping each other. And Diane slaps Sam and he, he or Sam slaps Diane and she slaps him right back. And then she slaps uh, and then he does it again and she does it right back. And it doesn't matter how many times he slaps him. She slaps him right away back. And he's oh God. And he's like, like eventually he just like, you know, it's like, because it's, it's automatic. It's a reflex action. If someone slaps you, if you've ever been slapped, you know, it's an absolute reflex action to want to slap the person back. And that's what Jesus is saying is, no, turn the other cheek. Don't return evil for evil. Don't slap them back. That's all it means. It's not, it's not to be interpreted the way Gandhi did and his doctrine of nonviolence. And we explain in our article how his nonviolence is actually passive-aggressive violence and passive-aggressive control and domination. And we spell it all out and why he is the father of the SJW movement and victimization and all the gaslighting and all the stuff that the uh, woke wokeism uses now in order to gain dominance and control and manipulate people by playing the perpetual victim right it's um and gandhi is the uh, the grandfather of all that he showed how you can subdue the the the, the british empire this way but we spell out specifically and exactly how energetically what was really behind Gandhi's so-called nonviolent revolution. Because as soon as the British left, India descended into civil war and the Hindus and the Muslims began killing each other, slaughtering each other en masse. And they had no choice but to split the country into two, Pakistan and India. Right? What happened to Gandhi's nonviolent revolution then? Right? Where was a, if if is if his nonviolence was all truly based in love and forgiveness and compassion and understanding, if it was all coming from this place of light and love, then how come when they won the revolution and the British left, the first thing they did is turn on each other and started slaughtering each other and committing atrocities against each other that the British that the British never committed against them. Anyway, we spell out all that is and why that is in um, in that article. Gandhi is one of those figures that's unfortunately is placed up on a pedestal and idolized when when truly he he wasn't all that he made out he he, uh, he was made out to be. All right, uh, Mugaboo twenty two said. Now, however, the one with a purse should take it, and likewise a bag, and the one without a sword should sell his cloak and buy a sword. Now, however, the one with a purse should take it, and likewise a bag, and the one without a sword should sell his cloak and buy a sword.
the sword part yes i'm not sure about the purse and the bag <laughs> but the but the cloak and the sword yes benjamin says thank you for that explanation it is sometimes really hard to comprehend that teaching from the get-go uh again if you if you read our our article uh with all the quotes the different quotes in the bible and everything else and you read it in the context of the eastern martial arts master and how martial arts is never about and, and when you when you perform martial arts, it's you never get angry. You never allow yourself to enter into ego. You never react with fear. It's all about conscious awareness, and it's all about being present, and it's all about disarming, defeating your opponent, but not defeating your opponent for the sake of defeating them. Defeating your opponent so that they don't become a killer, and you don't become a killer, and you also aren't a killer, right? He says, that's just a quote from Jesus. Oh, okay. <laughs> so now, however, the one with a purse should take it and likewise a bag. And the one without a sword should sell his cloak and buy a sword. Okay, so I think he's talking about revolution here. But um, I don't know. I'd have to double check the accuracy of the quote. But, quote, but uh, thanks for that, uh, Mugaboo. Okay. Past the three-hour mark. Anybody uh, else have any comments or questions? And hopefully they won't be <laughs> another half-hour explanation for the answer. But anyone, comments, questions, concerns, um, or uh, how do I? How do I? No, hang on a second. We can all sit and admire a spirit dancer's cat. <laughs> That's a big cat. That's, is that a Maine Coon? That's a big cat. She um she's about five now, but. She was the dog's best friend, so any meat that the dog got, um, she got as well. She's not; she's sturdy, but she's not that big. She's just, um, she's just muscly. Her name's Sashki, which actually means warrior. <laughs> so, um, yes. All right, so uh, so you so you brought a, a warrior to the live stream. That's good. Mugaboo says uh, peace. Have a great weekend, everyone. Um, last call for questions or comments, and then I think we'll call it a day. How do you? What do you guys think? Well, uh, I did get this right. So we want to uh, thank Ingrid for uh, for coming and spending the day with us. Right? It's Ingrid, right? Okay, yeah, okay. Um, and to all of you who are uh, what we can call our regulars, thank you for being here. We always, it's always a pleasure to have you. And um, we will be broaching this topic again in the future, but in different ways. We'll be, we'll be, we need to hammer out our, approach uh, because we have to go public and have to go mainstream um, 
and it really is a question of there's a, there's a lot of darkness there's a lot of hard truths that people need to hear but um is there a way that we can reach them in a way that's going to embrace the 90% um and um in other words embrace all the things that we can agree upon i guess that's why we spent a good 50 minutes at the beginning of this live stream sharing how we too are a light worker like we're one of you we're the, we're the same and we we are we were where you are it's just that we've gone further we've had to go further because somebody had to do it somebody had to walk the path and show the real nature of this work and the real work that needs to be done and um somebody had to do it and somebody has to do you know and then nobody else nobody else is doing it there's people talking to gnostics there's people talking to lots of people but there's nobody there's nobody speaking the truth to light workers it really isn't not that we can find not that we can see everybody's speaking this 90 percent stuff this this all beautiful sounding stuff and then the 10 percent that last little bit where the rubber meets the road where it really counts that's not only missing but it's filled in with a bunch of erroneous and and stuff that people want to hear they love to hear it but it's just it's just not the truth that's that's the problem so how do we how do we get around this like how do we how do we deal with this and how do we get those light workers activated and 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 be, you know and really leveling up and becoming all that they can be becoming who they truly are that's really what it's all about thank you sir benjamin says and have a lovely week ahead everyone thank you benjamin for being here as always thank you azazel as always uh thank you ingrid for joining us mugaboo 22 and everyone uh thank you for being here and as always uh have a wonderful week and um and hopefully we'll see you next sunday inverential peace take care everyone <laughs>